Welcome to The Cultured Podcast, a weekly conversation hosted by me, Michelle Corey, that breaks down the barriers surrounding art, theater, travel, and more to serve a digestible dose of culture for all. Hello, my dearie. I sounded like a Disney villain. Sorry about that. <clears throat> Hi, it's Michelle. Welcome to another episode of the Cultured Podcast. We have got quite a thrilling episode for you today. It's about figure painting or figurative painting. And that is just a fancy way of saying painting the human form. We've got Christian Fagerland, an absolutely incredible figure painter. He is a naturalist figure painter, which means that he paints the human body as he sees it and stays true to the realism of that body in that moment. So he uses photography and some other tools that we're going to discuss. His perspective is absolutely incredible. It's mind-blowing. You'll you'll see that I remain a bit quiet in this episode because I'm just taking it all in. Well, quiet for me, let's be honest. Um, And we're going to learn some really interesting facts about figure painting. Like, for instance, how psychology plays a role in painting a person. And so uh, before we do that, though, you know that I like to cover what's inspiring me this week. And I really want to hear from you guys. So don't forget to give me a shout on social media or email me at info at culturedpodcast.com so that I can feature what's inspiring you and give you a little shout right on the show. What's inspiring me this week are dreamers. I feel like I'm constantly surrounded by people who are chasing after their dreams with so much passion and so much drive that it leaves me constantly in awe. I count myself extremely grateful to be surrounded by the kind of people who put their vision into action and make it happen. And this is a special shout out for my friends MK and Christopher Hasiotis, who are building a tiny house hotel in Athens, Georgia. And it blows my mind to see the kind of progress they're making and to see these stunning blueprints. MK is part Swedish and part Southern. And the Swedish design of Hema, this tiny house hotel, is unlike you've anything you've ever seen. It's really spectacular. And I'm very proud of you guys. And I just want to send you a big, big hug, lots of love. And just know that dreamers everywhere, I know that it's hard to make your dreams come true. And I know that it takes so much blood, sweat and tears. Well, maybe not blood unless you're like dreaming to be a serial killer, which I don't support. So but it takes a lot of sweat and (laughs) definitely some tears. Uh, Just make it through. You are seen and your work matters. And I am in constant awe of you. So thank you for being an inspiration to those around you. All righty. Without further ado, let's get into the topic of figure painting, Christian Fagerland. Here we go. First and foremost, why don't you tell the cultured crew a little bit about yourself and your art? I guess I'll start with the art. Um, It's always been figurative, at least for the last, let's say, 20 years. I've been primarily dealing with the figure and doing so in a representational style. So I'm dealing with realism. The current work that I'm working on is a group of back portraits. You know, whenever I come across imagery that I've 
find inspiring, whether it's photography or paintings. I, I just collect those images into a bank. That's called goodies. Oh, I goodies love book. that. How sassy. <laughs> <laughs> and whenever I kind of hit points where I feel a bit blocked, I'll often go to that and, and see whether it kind of sparks some ideas. So about a year ago, I was looking through that folder and I just started to notice that there were multiple pieces that were paintings of backs. You know, there were ones by William Merritt Chase and Andrew Wyeth and Ang and uh, Lefebvre and often nude. It was just such a refreshing way of seeing portraiture, you know, because you get used to frontal portraits where the focus is on the face. And and it was so nice to see these individuals captured, you know, and kind of the, the essence of these individuals captured without dealing with the face at all. So it deals, it's more focused on the gesture, more focused on the forms of their body and just what gestures those bodies take when they're relaxed. So it's like kind of capturing the essence of an individual, but with a a totally different approach. And, uh, and so I started recruiting models. It was important that it was that there was a good amount of diversity within that group. So diversity in terms of body shapes and ages and ethnicities. I can imagine it makes it more interesting for you as much as the viewer when you have that kind of diversity. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I was coming out of a period where I had pretty much exclusively been painting either me or my wife. And I had been doing that for about 13 years where it was just the two of us. That period, you know, it had to do with intimacy and trying to find authentic moments of intimacy. So that's hard to find with a model that you hire or, you know, someone that's an acquaintance. And whereas when it's you and your wife, it's like, you know, when you're kind of hitting those those real moments. When did you first start painting your wife? <laughs> it's funny because when I when we first met, the first conversation that we had, which was second year in undergrad. So we've been together 23 years. And during that first conversation, you know, I was just blown away by her beauty. Yeah. And 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 I told her, I was like, I would love to paint you, you know. And she oh was Oh my god, was, Leonardo DiCaprio uh, <laughs> over here. <laughs> and which was a little risky because it was like, you know, that could come off as flattering for her or she could be like, okay, this guy's a weirdo and you know what's to Well, you know how it goes. When you think someone's cute, it's very charming. <laughs> and when you don't think they're interesting or cute, they're creepy as hell. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then it was funny because it, then years passed and I hadn't painted her, probably about six years. So then uh, then I finally started to paint her. And- so wait, 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 wait. So when you said I would love to paint you, she was like, let's start with a drink and we'll see in six years. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I think, I think she was just waiting, you know, and, and I was and I, I think I had some fear, you know, fear in terms yeah. of my ability to kind of capture her do justice to to her in a painting so it took me a while to get over that and then it was in grad school like that's when she really became my subject so what triggered that moment for you to finally get over the intimidation and paint her i know in graduate school when i was kind of painting her exclusively and painting the two of us i had this i had this notion that i was going to try and make paintings that involved the act of making love sexual intimacy but do it in a way that was not kind of falling into any of the conventions that i'd seen in any kind of erotic art before that yeah 
it's a really difficult subject to like paint well and kind of paint authentically while avoiding all of those. Why is that? There's just so much romanticism versus realism that's built into that representations of that, you know, it's like, it's always maybe a bit of a fantasy. It wasn't based, the, the images that I saw weren't based on my experience of that act, you know? Well, and I think you make a good point because it's such an individual experience and there's an ethereal quality to an act of sexual in- intimacy. Yes. There is this, these feelings that really only happen within the context of, you know, synapses firing in your brain, yes. you know, yeah. and th- it's not physical in terms of there, you can't represent it with, with the sheen on your skin or yeah. shadows because it's, it's intangible. Yeah. Yeah. You articulate it better than I think I could. <laughs> <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> so yeah, so I I tried that for for kind of worked at that for a few years and then ended up bypassing it away by by not li- limiting it to sexual intimacy but just kind of a general sense of intimacy. So I'd start to get into daily acts that you only really experience with your partner like sleeping or showering or dressing or and that seemed to work better. You know, it's interesting there's a sense of voyeurism. Yes. With the work where you feel like you're watching a very intimate moment that maybe you shouldn't be a part of. Yeah. Um but it makes it in a very strange way appealing because we all have these voyeuristic tendencies, right? This is why social media is such a craze. Yeah. And another thing that kind of came out of that whole period was previous to that, I was always working large. I was always working with like life-size figures thinking that, you know, by painting at a, at a life-size scale that viewers would be able to kind of relate to the the people in the painting to the kind of moment that's happening in the painting. And I started to notice that with the subject matter being about intimacy, the color studies had more of that feeling in them that than the large ones did, because it's a more intimate interaction, you know, between the viewer and the piece when it's small. Oh, wow. Of course, because you have to get close to it and really, yeah, you have to really pay attention and approach it. And it's one-on-one. It's not like right. six people can sit around a, a two-by-two-inch painting and kind of take it in. It's like one person at a time. Oh, that's fascinating, you, of course. And also, at the same time, I was generally in the art world with the painting that I was seeing. So much of it was big. Like, you could take the most kind of mundane, boring image and blow it up, and that was supposed to kind of make it important. So I was like, damn it, I'm going to try and make a painting that that's using up a hundredth of that real estate, but is more powerful than those those large, large pieces. Yeah, because at a certain point, they start resting on scale as the wow factor, yeah. rather than on technique or yeah. um, psychology. What a cool moment of self-awareness, you know, to have and develop your artwork in a different direction. I was very fortunate. And so... Since then, most, I'd say 80% of the work that I do is at a a relatively small scale. You know, it's the smallest painting was, I think it was an inch and a half by two and a half inches. So it's a tiny, tiny little one. It's funny because that was shown with a group of paintings. It was one of my first solo shows in New York and Brooklyn. And it's the only painting that I've ever had stolen from the gallery like because you could literally fit it in your pocket so (laughs) during during one of those 
periods where, you know, the gallery attendant was gone or not paying close attention. Someone just came in and snagged it. And it was, you know who it was. It was a gnome. It was for (laughs) sure an art collecting gnome. (laughs) Those little guys. It's driven me crazy. (laughs) Just knowing it's out there and it's, uh, and it was literally, it was the best painting of that show. So it was really, really hard to kind of swallow that loss. Holy moly. This is such a crazy story. (laughs) So, yeah, so they range from that small to, uh, you know, the ones, the series I'm working on now, they're eight by 10 inches. One of the first things you said to me was, you know, are you aware of the scale? And that it kind of like blew my mind when you talked about that. And one of the things you also said was that now painting in larger scale is a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Over the last, I'd say, five years, um, I've, I've done maybe four or five large scale paintings, you know, going back to, to life size, sometimes larger than life size. Um, but anywhere from five by six feet to three by nine feet. So they're, they're big. And every time I've done it, um, it's, it really feels like I'm learning to paint again. It's a completely different process because the, the things that, that kind of work at a smaller scale, you know, not to get super technical, but like if you're, if you've got some color moment in the painting that you really want to sing, you can use heavy glazes or adjustment glazes to kind of make that color just uh, luminous. And, and in a small painting, one of those moments may be, you know, three quarter inch by an inch. It's this little thing and it works effectively. But once you start to apply that to a larger scale, it just no longer works. Also, I've gotten used to a certain level of description and refinement working at a small scale. But then when you're faced with, you know, a face, a face or a a torso or something that now is like 20 times that size, it's hard to know how much to describe, you know, because you now you have all this space to describe even many, many more levels of description and detail. But at the same time, that feels kind of foreign. So I don't know. It's um, even the way you kind of apply a stroke, the way you lay down paint, it's just very different. But I do I do start to go a little, you know, I'll have these periods where I do work on series that are very small. And and I love I love the product of it. I, I enjoy making those but but often by the end of one of those periods, I'm just going stir crazy, you know, because it's all this, <laughs> these tiny moments, you know, the tiny movements. And so usually during those, when I hit one of those points, I switch to drawing um, and I work much, much larger than life size. And that's in pencil? Usually in charcoal and graphite. Like there was a series of work that I did um, 2011 that was... Uh, series of portraits and those are all kind of two to three times life size and and are are a nice break from all the tight anal refinement that happens at the small scale i imagine with figurative painting especially on the realism side that there is this sort of this sense of responsibility or duty that you face when you're painting or even drawing someone in a realistic way do you still feel that yes yeah, I think even more so than before. Part of it is because I've I've spent so many years trying to refine my ability to see and capture that particular individual. 
Like, I feel like a lot of figurative artists, they'll have an idea, they'll have a concept, and then they, they'll plug figures as a vehicle for that concept into a painting. Whereas for me, it's more about honoring that individual and what makes that person different than other people, whether that's um, their features and their blemishes and their creases and stretch marks and whatever, you know, right. or, or if it's in terms of more of their spirit, you know, like their, mm. their energy. It feels like almost all the paintings that I do are portraits in a way. And even the non-figurative work feels like portraiture. You know, it's like if I'm pulled over on the side of a Texas roadway and I'm doing a landscape, like I'm experiencing this moment. There's this interaction between me and the space, and I'm doing my best to try and capture that as, as faithfully as possible. You know, I find it interesting. I just, uh, I've started experimenting with just taking a, an image of a friend and digitally painting their, their features and just doing yeah. a portrait. And I've never in my life been able to draw or paint anything realistic but with this ability to just kind of trace over the image I've started to learn different methods for doing it and playing with shadows and highlights and it's interesting like I've even though I kind of warned everyone like this is the first time in my life I'm doing this. I I feel like a weird sense of responsibility too. Like when I don't draw them just right, you know, I, I did my, my best friend Masha and I sent her the image and she was like, you didn't include my freckles. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, Oh my God, you're right. She's like, yeah. And my boyfriend has like pinkish eyes. He looks stoned. And I was like, you're so right. So uh, obviously that's me like dabbling. So you doing this uh, day in and day out for how many years now have you been painting? I'd say about 25 years. 25 years. And you more than ever feel that sense of, of responsibility. Yeah. It's not so much just replicating what you say or what you see. There's something more than that. There's something that happens when you're making the painting. You see a lot of people do technically incredible work that's that's photorealist. They have a photo reference and they're able to copy it perfectly and impressively. That's not so much what I'm going for. And I, I don't know what the other thing is that I'm trying to kind of embed into the painting. Well, it sounds like you're trying to capture an energetic essence. You're very personal about the work that you do and who you are trying to capture. And I mean, it, it it comes across, you know, for you to feel not that you're looking at a painting of, of something realistic, but rather that you are in the room with your wife as she takes off her pants, yeah, you yeah. know, or is looking in the mirror or is waiting in the pool. It, it is hard to kind of articulate what that extra little something is, but it's something. Yeah. You're working on a more intuitive level and less on kind of an analytical level. So So it's hard to kind of describe how you're making those choices that you're making. So you teach a course on figure painting at the University of of North Texas, correct? Yes, they hired me as as a senior lecturer of figure drawing, but over the last three years, I've kind of spread into figure painting. So so I teach beginning level figure drawing, intermediate figure drawing, and then figure painting. So I was snooping on one of your course syllabus. One of the things you touch on is psychology. So tell me a little bit about mm-hmm. how, how psychology works its way into figure painting and why you decided to incorporate it into your class. In a general way, one of the 
strengths of working with the figure because we're all people and we look at this image of a person, we start to relate to them and project ourselves into them. Sometimes those uh, kind of psychological narratives can be kind of the star of the show. It's like you you have a narrative that you're trying to create and can be very dominant and, and possibly literal or symbolic or metaphorical, or those those narratives can be more subtle, you know, where maybe just the slightest subtle facial expression or gestural energy is the the seed or the the kind of ingredients that the viewer then creates a narrative out of. I mean, it sounds like that's kind of that, that essence that we were talking about earlier. And also it reminds me of, of method acting where you really have to get into the psyche of the character mm-hmm. or the person and imagine what they're feeling, what they're going through to really bring them to life. Yeah, exactly. It's like when you when you watch a good actor, I guess it goes back to a sense of empathy where you're relating to the person and you actually start to like really physically feel what you imagine they're feeling. So in order to do that as an artist, I feel like you need to, you need a certain level of facility to be able to kind of express that and, and therefore have, have that whole process take place with the viewer. Yeah. Now, l- let me ask you, because when you're painting um, a figure realistically, mm-hmm. you are expressing that body's movement and essence. Do you feel like your work is a, an act of self-expression as well? Yes, I guess, I mean, what comes to mind is kind of two levels of self-expression. One is, like a lot of the work that I do is the main reference that I'm using is is a photograph. And so during those photo shoots, um, there's, there's a certain kind of interaction that's going on. I mean, a certain level of direction that's going on between me and the model. And often, I'm, I'm trying to find moments that are that feel very natural and relaxed for that person. They're always a bit nervous, a bit awkward at first. Mm-hmm. And it's not until later where they start to kind of forget that they're being photographed. You know, all these little nuanced gestures, that's when they start to come out. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a physical expression on their part, and it's a conceptual direction on my part. Conceptual expression, like that that's what I'm going for. Right. So I feel like that's that's one level of uh, personal expression that comes through in the paintings. And then and then the other is just how you paint it. How, there are so many different ways to create a, a, a faithful representation of, of what's in front of you. You know, it's it's how you layer paint. It's how you uh, it's, it's the thickness of the paint that you use versus thinner, more quiet moments. Oils as a medium, they have so much potential, you know, I think more than any other painting medium in term in terms of ways of using it, diversity of treatments and and effects that you can get with it. Which is kind of a double edged sword in itself, isn't it? Because they're also more difficult to handle. Yes, yes. That, that yeah, it's a big reason why they're more difficult. It's right. And so I try to play up contrast in my paintings. There's light and dark, there's organic forms versus man-made forms, you know, mm. curves versus straights, chroma versus neutrality, like high chroma versus neutrals, the texture, like the texture of, of what you're depicting, like the softness of flesh versus geometric patterns of a blanket or something. And, and conceptually, a contrast in these back paintings is on the one hand, they're 
the model's vulnerable because they're they're nude, you know, like this person right. is exposing themselves in front of you, but they're facing away from you, which is kind of a, a guarded, more safe thing for them to kind of provide. So in oils, you have all these chances for pushing the range of vocabulary within a single painting. And I'm, I'm always trying to push that. And, and so when I, so what I was saying initially is that, that there's so many ways to depict this image, but I feel like a large part of my personal expression comes through the choices that I make during the making of the painting, most of which are informed by this drive for contrast. Wow, that is beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. It really was so beautifully put. <laughs> Thank you. What are some old masters, new masters that you think can really help an art newbie or a figurative newbie explore some really spectacular work? A general thing I would say for newbies with figurative art is get out and see the work. Like see work in person. Yeah. The experience that you have when you're sitting in front of a painting is completely different and much, much richer, I think. There's nothing like it. I'd say Vermeer, Rembrandt is one of the highest on my list. I really love Holbein, the Younger's work. There's there's one of his pieces. I believe it's Portrait of Mrs. Small. It's an incredible portrait, and it's about two inches high. might even be less than that. And And you'll look at that, and you'll you'll think it's two by three feet. It's really impressive. Ang, I really like to, and a lot of these back portraits, um, people make a lot of connections to Ang. And then getting into more contemporary artists, I really love Antonio Lopez Garcia, who's a great Spanish painter, living Spanish painter. One that, that a lot of my students relate to, and I do also, is David Kassman, who's a figurative painter from New York. And David, he, he does an incredible job at demo videos and uh, work-in-progress shots, and is just very transparent about his process. So it's very useful for students that are learning. It's one thing to kind of look at a finished product, but to see the work and the marks and the energy that goes into creating that piece is kind of lets you appreciate it on, on a whole other level. And he's, he's really great about that. It's cool. It's very, very interesting, like you say. So thank you. This has been such oh. an amazing conversation. Really interesting. Thank you, Christian. Thank you so much, Michelle. Oh, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> So if I sounded a little bit quiet during this episode, it's because I was in complete awe of Christian's perspective. Hearing how he approaches his art and how he dissects the world around him and pays homage to the ordinary person, which is a pretty extraordinary act, really left me inspired and motivated to see that in the world around me as well. And I hope that it sparked a little fuse of inspiration and beauty seeking in you as well. So getting to the nitty gritty, if you would like to find Christian's work, you can find it online at christianfagerland.com. On Instagram, you can find him at christianfagerland. And you can also scope out some of his, some quick sketches that he puts up for sale for a little bit less 
less money so you can own a Christian Fagerland in your collection, even if you're strapped for cash. You can find that at his Etsy shop. And I'll put all these links in the show notes as always to make it very easy for you to reach out to Christian and peruse his work. But you can also scope out his work in person at Winfield Gallery in sunny, beautiful Carmel, California, and also at Liliana Block Gallery in Dallas, Texas, where he's exhibiting his back series among a nocturnal series in May 2018. So if you're in Dallas, make sure that you check out Christian as a part of that exhibition. Again, that's at Liliana Block Gallery. All these notes are in the show notes to make it super, super easy for you. Once again, I want to thank Christian for being on the show today and for injecting a little bit more beauty and knowledge into our days. And the next episode is coming out in just one week. And in the meantime, you know what to do. Keep it classy. Keep it curious. Keep it cultured. I'm Michelle Corey. Sean Powers is our producer. David Markowitz is our executive producer. The Cultured Podcast is a production of Zero Mile Media, made with love in Atlanta. You can listen to Cultured on culturedpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and anywhere podcasts are found. If you love what you're hearing, don't forget to rate and review The Cultured Podcast on Apple Podcasts.